Welcome everyone to Catechism of the Catholic Church series part five or six? I think it's six. Part six. As always, my name is Michael Becker. I'm the Director of Operations here at Sacred Heart, joined with Pastor Father John Eckert and a third face today, our wonderful sem seminarian, Luke Martin. How are you doing, Luke? I am wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us. And as you can see, we are in a new studio today in our wonderful conference room. If you hear a little bit of background noise, we're closer to the front desk. You might hear the doorbell ring. You might hear our wonderful receptionist, Mimi, answer the phone. Just keep focusing on us. Just ignore the background noise, and we'll <laughs> keep moving forward. But what I would like to do first, Father, if you'd start us with a prayer. I would love to. And then I thought, Luke, if you could give us a quick introduction of yourself before we dive in, just so sure. our viewers at home know who you are, and then we'll dive into the catechism. Sounds good. Let's dive in with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together today, for the gift of our faith, for the fact that you continue to reveal ourself, or re reveal yourself to us, you who are almighty, our creator, our holy God, who continues to draw us ever deeper and deeper into the mystery of your love for us. We thank you for the foundation of your love, for the end goal of our life to be saints, glorifying, glorifying you. For all eternity. And we ask you to give us the strength, the perseverance, all the virtues we need to continue to live out our vocations and to strive to be saints each and every day. And we ask this through the intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of, of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. St. Joseph. Pray for us. St. Martha, St. Mary, and St. Lazarus. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Absolutely. And once again, as we typically do in our little litany of saints at the end of the prayer, today as we film this on Thursday, July 29th, it is the Feast of Saints Martha, St. Mary, and St. Lazarus. And it had always just been St. Martha in the past, but just kind of found this out today. There was a uh, a decree that came out in January about adding in uh, Mary and Lazarus, mm -hmm. which I want to read about more, um, but I didn't even realize that that happened until I got to the Magnificat. It didn't just say St. Martha. It said Martha, Mary, and Lazarus and saw that this document had come out. So it's pretty exciting. It was in January. Yeah. You didn't miss it. No. So you found it out on the appropriate day. There you go. Yeah. On the day. We yeah. were good. So just exciting, you know, about the way that our Lord you know, enters in with the incarnation, coming in to be with his people and just you know, reflecting on specifically in you know, John 11 where he goes to raise Lazarus from the dead in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke where he goes to spend time with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And of course, you know, about Martha being busy about many things and Mary uh, sitting at his feet. But there's just something so beautiful about our Lord coming to spend time with us. And as we, you know, open up the catechism today, and uh, spend time about the way that God reveals himself. It's just so incredible to go from this to the incarnation and everything in between, which leads us to... Uh, the Gospel from... of Luke and getting an introduction Oh, there Luke. you go. That was a good one. I was going to say incarnation, vocation, not because of the, uh, the rhyme, but... I thought, I thought you forgot that he had to do an introduction. No, so no, I no. Saying. I was trying to build to that. So yeah. Father said just before we went on air that... I keep us on task, and he does his tangents. So it's I thought that was just another tangent. I was trying to pull him back on task. It was good. Did a nice bring job. Bring him back on task with the segue. Luke, please mm -hmm. introduce. Give us like a minute introduction of yourself. Tell us who you are, where you're from, 
what your aspirations are in life. Mm. Um, well, okay. <laughs> so I am, my name is Luke Martin. I am a seminarian for the Diocese of Charlotte. I just completed four years of seminary, college seminary, at St. Joseph College Seminary in Charlotte. And I'm currently going to enter into my fifth year, also known as First Theology, at uh, Mount St. Mary's of the West, also known as the Athenaeum Seminary in Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, I have the pleasure of being here at Sacred Heart for the summer and having my pastoral assignment with a good father, John Eckert, here. And um, yes, yeah, so I was around, and I, I have the, the privilege of, of joining them here today. And how long are you joining us for? When, when are you heading to seminary? I am heading to seminary right about two weeks from now. So I, I have about one more solid week here at, at Sacred Heart, which I've been loving. And uh, yeah, then I'll be heading up there soon. So if you haven't met, met Luke yet, you've got another week. So make sure you come to Mass and shake his hand and uh, wish him well um, as he heads off to bigger and better things. And he will be joining our very good friend, Deacon Darren Bulky. Yeah. For the last year that Deacon Bulky is in seminary and your first year. So it'll be fun to mm -hmm. uh, hear all the antics of the year at seminary. It's very true, yeah. I look forward to it. Yeah, because when good. Deacon Bulky's involved, there are always antics. There so. are always <laughs> antics. <laughs> That's good. We, we heard a uh, chainsaw going off in the woods and we're like, is Deacon Bulky home? Is he running the chainsaw again? <laughs> no, it no. was just the lot next door running the chainsaw. So. It was a little disappointing. We thought he maybe made a surprise appearance. And keep him in your prayers. He is doing his military training this summer in Rhode Island. It's like a five-week training that he's doing. And um, I heard about some of the challenges in the beginning. Like, I think he's only going to get access to Mass once a week. Uh, I know. That was a big shocker to me, too. But, you know, that's a good reason we got to pray for our uh, servicemen and women in the military who get access to the sacraments so rarely. Um, thanks be to God. Deacon Balky will be a priest here, God willing, in less than a year, what, 11 months now. Um, and then after three years in the Diocese of Charlotte, he'll be in the Navy and probably go all over the world. So we got to pray for increase of vocations for the military chaplaincy as well. And um, yeah, he'll do a great job with them. Yes, indeed. So yeah. keep all our seminarians in your prayers, always. Always, of um, course. Please Especially do. Luke as he dives into his new journey in major seminary. Yeah. So, yeah. So carrying on to the next point of business. So we are starting at paragraph 250 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church and going to paragraph 300. So kind of painting the picture of where we're at in the Catechism. So we are officially going through the Creed at this point, and we are kind of in the throes of that first line, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And as you will see, we'll kind of carry on through almost looking at each, each individual word in some ways. Mm -hmm. So we are actually starting with kind of the second word, I believe in God, the Father, and then we'll do Almighty, and then we'll do Creator. And actually, the Creator section goes through like the next two or three months. Yeah. It's pretty long. So mm -hmm. pretty quick through the Father, pretty quick through Almighty, and then Creator will carry on for a while. So that's just a little vision of where we are going. So Father, would you like to talk about a little bit about the Father. Which, absolutely, and I would, I would even say, I mean, the way that we kind of start off with our paragraphs this time, you know, is begins with the articulation of the dogma of the Trinity. And <clears throat> the Catechism gives us, um, specifically in 251, so if you've heard, you know, some of the different terms that get used along the way, like, wait a second, you know, it's, uh, the Trinity is one substance, you know, but or one essence, but three persons. You know, what does that mean? Like, how do we 
how do we like impose that on God? Well, the thing is, when it comes to you know, a mystery as deep and everlasting as the Trinity, we have to have language to talk about you know, what, what we're talking about. And does this language completely do it perfectly? Well, they're tools that, that give us the best sort of like insight and understanding that we can get. Because I think we talked about last time with that, you know, the, the story about St. Augustine, about you know, him walking on the beach and the child was taking you know, scoops of water in a shell and dumping them in a hole and going back and forth. And Augustine said, what are you doing? The kid said, I'm going to put the ocean in this hole. And he said, you can't do that. And the kid looked him in the face and said, I have a better chance of getting the ocean in this hole than you do getting the Trinity in your mind. So obviously it's like we can never completely enrapture, you know, like get the whole of God into our head. But that doesn't mean that we can't discuss the mystery. So if you look at, pa- at paragraph 251, the catechism gives us, you know, in order to articulate the dogma of the Trinity, the church had to develop its own terminology with the help of certain notions of philosophical origin, substance, person, or hypostasis, relation, and so on. In doing this, she did not submit the faith to human wisdom, but gave a new and unprecedented meaning to these terms, which from then on would be used to signify an ineffable mystery infinitely beyond all that we can humanly understand. So even though the mystery, you know, it's like, okay, trying to describe, you know, the beauty of a sunset or, you know, the beauty of a newborn child. Like, Michael, you've been a, a father, like me, a, a new, a a new father. Child, yes. No, but, okay, I was going to say you've been a father twice. You're about to have a newborn child here in September. Pray for Michael and Kara and for Andrew and Juliana as they get prepared to welcome their new little brother. Yeah, I mean, just that, that feeling of holding your newborn child. I'm sure you can't be like, oh, I can sum this up perfectly. And these, you know, I mean, there are some experiences, some things that are beyond words, and yet we still need some sort of a language to talk about them. And then this is the common terminology we've been using in the church for centuries. You know, coming out of human philosophy, giving us tools to understand better, and yet it's not as though we put God in a box. So that's just kind of a helpful place to go if you ever hear some terminology in, in homilies it's like wait what did he say you know what's this about the three mm-hmm. persons that you know just to kind of help with the understanding of that yeah and these help us these <clears throat> words that um as i really like the line gave a new and unprecedented meaning to these terms yeah carry us into or help us to define the dogma that we believe about the trinity so this actually goes through three very specific dogmas so dogmas are, what's the best way to define a dogma? The, the solid teaching the and doctrine solid of teachings of the church that we as Catholics are obliged to believe. Mm-hmm. If there is a dogma that you don't believe, definitely pray about that. That Work through that virtue of faith, praying for that virtue of faith. Because these are the true teachings of the church. These aren't the options. Yeah. I mean, this is, you got to go all in when it comes to the dogmas. And it outlines three. Luke, would you take us through the first one, please? Of course. Um, So, in paragraph 253, the first dogma is, The Trinity is one. We do not confess three gods, but one God in three persons, the consubstantial Trinity. The divine persons do not share the one divinity among themselves, but each of them is God whole and entire. The Father is that which the Son is, the Son that which the Father is, the Father and the Son, that which the Holy Spirit is, i.e., by nature, one God. In the words of the Fourth Lateran Council, each of the, each of the persons is the super 
as the supreme reality, um, the divine substance, essence, or nature. So you have that unity. You know, they're all together. So, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all one. And yet, as we move on to paragraph 254, they're really distinct from one another. And this is, this is where we start, I think, start to get really exciting, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, God is one, but not solitary. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are not simply names designating modalities of the, of the divine being. It's like different modes. It's not God putting on different masks, right? Um, for they are really distinct from one another. He is not the Father who is the Son, nor is the Son he who is the Father, nor is the Holy Spirit he who is the Father or the Son. They are distinct from one another in their relations of origin. It is the Father who generates the Son, who is begotten, and the Holy Spirit who proceeds. The divine unity is triune. So, in their relation to one another, you know, so the Father begetting the Son from all eternity. Um, the Ready for this? It's like the Holy Spirit, the spiration of the Holy Spirit from the Father and the Son. Um, you know, like we talk about being inspired. You know, you think about that word about the Holy Spirit coming into you. You know, to, to bring about these beautiful things. The Holy Spirit, you know, spirates forth. Is, you know, not, I don't want to use the word generated if I'm wrong here. But, you know, like the Holy Spirit coming forth. So their relations to each other you know, makes them distinct from one another. Now, once again, it's like, wait a second. Didn't Luke just say the Father is that which the Son is? And then I just said, the fa uh, he is not the Father who is the Son. Well, so they're together in one substance. They're distinct as persons. Is that a mystery? Yes, it is. However, like the, the unity and the diversity within the Trinity, it's all held together. Um, and it's incredible. It's a beautiful mystery. Now remember, you have a better chance of putting the ocean in a hole than the Trinity in your head. Keep that in mind as we continue to go yes. through this. And then the last dogma in 255, it says the divine persons are relative to one another because it does not divide the divine unity. The real distinction of the persons from one another resides solely in the relationships which relate them to one another. So when it says relative to one another, I thought it meant like, oh, they're relative, so they make sense putting them together. No, no, no. It's talking about the relative as in relationship between mm -hmm. the three. So they are what each other are, but they're not the same in their the same within the Trinity because of their relationship together. That's kind of the summary of the three dogmas, but definitely read. 253, 254, 255. Take those to prayer. Come to adoration. Dig into those. Because that in those three paragraphs, we're kind of glossing over them a little bit. But there is a ton there that you could probably pray about for decades. And meditate on, yeah, for a long time. So then what is the kind of the point of the Trinity, though? So what it goes into now is it talks about kind of the mission, the divine work of the Trinity. And the whole point of the Trinity is for us to come and give Glory to God and for the three divine persons within the Trinity to fulfill a common work, a common work of their divine persons, of essentially our uh, salvation, our entry into the Blessed Trinity, so that we might come to understand the Trinity more fully when we are entering into salvation. So these three persons of the Trinity all are there for us to give glory to them and for us to embrace them and come in a more full unity with them in heaven. So, and, but we, and we see this very clearly at each individual person of the Trinity, but it's one mission that all three persons in one Trinity are working towards in unity mm -hmm. as these three persons. I mean, the beautiful thing, we're going to get to this more in the, uh, you know, the subject of creation, 
You know, the fact that it's like God has always been, has always existed, you know, loving himself. You know, it's like this, this unity that is there, this diversity amongst persons, that there's never been at the heart of everything like some sort of solitary loneliness, you know, and like a unity of just one person. There's always been God loving himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the beautiful thing about that, and as I said, I mean, we'll kind of unpack this more as we go, but it's, you know, at the heart of it all is love. And for that love to exist, you know, you've got the multiple persons that are there. One God, three persons and one God loving himself. And out of that love, you know, it's like, like this, this intentional, but like this spilling over of love. And then here we come, you know, it's like, it's not as though like God needed to bring us along to like, okay, now there's people, so there can be love. No, I mean, God is fine on his own, but like the love is so great that it spills over upon us. Okay, I just go one more tangent if that's okay. Keep going. So, doing great so I got to tell you, so it's it's interesting getting to celebrate Mass and in both English and Spanish every Sunday. And there's one word um, that I know I use in the uh, in the consecration that gets used in the Eucharistic prayer in Spanish, and it's uh, derramada, which me and I and this is funny. Like I had an idea, you know, like what I had an interpreter of in my head, um, like poured out, you know, like the blood which is poured out for you. Well, I'm doing Duolingo, I'm learning Spanish. And it was funny, it was like, I came across that word in Spanish that it was kind of nice, it's like I'm getting corrected on my pronunciation. <laughs> but the way they interpreted it was to spill. And it's funny, it's like, you know, we're thinking like poured out in the consecration. They came across as spill. It's like, God is like spilling his love over upon us. Or like, when he pours out the Holy Spirit upon the church for the forgiveness of sins. Just like this overabundance of love that just continues to be poured out upon us. And so, even though I know as we talk about like philosophical words and it can feel like we're getting scientific and like, you know, experimenting to go through and how do we articulate this. But there's this awesome beauty of the fact that, you know, at the heart of it all is this outpouring of love. God didn't have to do any of this. But he does. He loves us so much. He wants to spill out his love upon us and to share it with all of us. And I don't know. There's just something so incredible in that overabundance of the love that he pours out upon us. So I don't know. I just came up like that. Just hit me the other night when I was doing my Spanish homework. And coming from somebody with kids, and both of you coming from large families as well, <laughs> there's no such thing as a little spill. That's true. Like you can pour <laughs> a little, and you can make it pour kind of neat and nice. But when you spill something, it goes everywhere. That's a and good And there's point. no controlling that at all. Yeah. And so I like spill because to me, it shows, shows this almost graphicness of just everywhere. Yeah. It, it, you're not <laughs> determining where it's going. It's just going everywhere and it's making a mess. And that's what God is doing. He's spilling it and it's going everywhere. He's not like, I'm going to pour a little bit here, a little bit there. It's not selective. It's just yeah. coming out. And I know, how many siblings are in your family, Luke? I'm from a family of seven, so six siblings. And growing up with a big family, uh, when you guys were younger, I'm sure there was never a dinner where there wasn't exactly, a spill. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yes. That's so, so awesome. One cool Please. thing with that is mm -hmm. that, like, the, thing, the thought of spill, it, like, it, when we do it, when we spill, like, a drink or something, it's unintentional. But with God, that love that he pours out, that he spills out, it's perfectly intentional. That yeah. he does it because he loves each one of us individually. Very Just good like, point. Oh, man. 
It's so great. Yeah. Isn't it awesome? So Only cool. God could do an intentional spill. An I know. intentional <laughs> spill. <laughs> it's so awesome. And, actually, we, and we're saying this before, we're still in the three o'clock hour. It's like the ocean of mercy spilling out upon mm. us, you know? I mean, it's, it's so good. Love it. And talking about what only God can do, now we kind of, there's a there's some in-brief paragraphs that are fantastic. I suggest you read. We are on a time crunch. We've got a good ways to go. So we're going to move on to paragraph three. So as I was saying, that we started with I believe in God, the Father. Now we're into the Almighty. So now we get this attribute of God. So kind of opening up this section in paragraph 268. Of all the divine attributes, only God's omnipotence is named in the creed. To confess this power has great bearing on our lives. We be believe that his might is universal, for God who created everything also rules everything and can do everything. God's power is loving, for he is our Father, and mysterious, for only faith can discern it, discern it when it is made perfect in weakness. So they're kind of the catechism is kind of framing what this Almighty is pointing to. This omnipotence, this universal power, this loving power, this mysterious power is, is all kind of encompassed within what we call God Almighty. And, and the fact of the matter is too, I mean, when you think about the incredible paradox of this, so we start out talking about he's God the Almighty, and that the paragraph 268 ends with, it's made perfect in weakness, you know? Mm. Um, and to think about that fact that God is so almighty, you know, that he makes himself weak for our sake, like, his love is so powerful that he doesn't force it down our throats, that he's willing to go all the way to the very depths of the cross, to the depths of the dead, you know, as he descended into hell, like, to make himself weak. I mean, that takes an incredible power, you know? It's like it takes power to humble yourself, um, as opposed to just, you know, I'm going to rule everything with an iron fist. And we'll say, as we kind of move on through here about, you know, okay, so he does whatever he pleases. I mean, you know, God does whatever he wants. You know, he wants to make this table all of a sudden chicken. He can, like, no, like, God doesn't, like, just act in a willy-nilly sort of a way. As you continue to read this, it's like everything is tied very much together. Um, so if we go to paragraph 271, God's almighty power is in no way arbitrary. In God, power, essence, will, intellect, wisdom, and justice are all identical. Nothing, therefore, can be in God's power, which could not be in his just will or his wise intellect. So it's holding everything together. We don't have to worry about, you know, God being an inconsistent lover. Like one minute, like he's kind of, you know, he's, he's building you up, he's good, and then the next minute he's pushing you down the stairs. It's like, no, no. God is always consistent. And I just love that all those things that are held together and always acting in unison. Like he holds the whole thing together and like, especially, you know, like you bring in the wisdom and the mercy and the justice. And it's like, you know, that is being truly almighty, not just he's got the whole military power. You know, like it's, it's so much deeper than that. That this isn't just a continual fight of, you know, mighty powers. It's he's got the whole thing together. Anything to add? You, I actually want to go back a paragraph. Okay, go back a paragraph. I really like I'm sorry, I got excited about 270. Yeah, and that's totally fine, because I got excited about 270. Okay. Because the um, his almightiness plays out in his fatherhood. Mm -hmm. So, being a, a father myself, obviously, father being a father as well, how is this almightiness played out in his fatherhood? And there's kind of three things that it, it shows here. So, God reveals his fatherly omnipotence by the way he takes care of our needs. 
Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. The Almighty Father and his ability to take care of our needs. By the filial adoption that he gives us. So he, as the Almighty Father, is using that almightiness and omnipotent power to take us as his adopted children. Mm-hmm. And then the third way, finally, by his infinite mercy, for he for he displays his power at its height by freely forgiving sins. So any father can relate to this, right? Providing for the needs of one's family, having that filial nature of this is my family, I'm bringing, this is my family, I'm creating this unity here, and then giving mercy on your children and your family while still trying to teach them what is right and wrong. So we do this in a very human, low, lowliness <laughs> yeah. that we have, you know, we are not omnipotent. Um, but God the Father in his almighty power can do this to the ungraspable, infinite power and glory. And so I just really like being able to equate my own lowly position as father to his perfected position as father. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just makes me feel like such a wonderful son. Yeah, that's know. so good. No, I'm not it's a sentimental perfect. guy, but it, it hits me in the feels. That's, that's so good. <laughs> well, and our Lord even talks about when he says, like, which one of you, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, would give him a stone? Or when he asks for, a, for an egg, would give him a scorpion? You know, it's like, you're not going to do that. So it's like, of course, your Heavenly Father's going to be that much better at it. You know, and so it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's incredible. Cool. And then in 272, we jump into the problem of evil. Luke, I'm going to give this one to you to start. If you oh, want to ta- talk about how you feel, you know, the problem of evil applies. Get, get your philosophy brain on. Give me, give me a little bit about the problem <laughs> okay. of evil here. Okay. Do you want to read through it first? Do it, buddy. All right. Do as you wish. Okay. So paragraph 272. Faith in God the Father Almighty can be put to the test by the experience of evil and suffering. God can sometimes seem to be absent and incapable of stopping evil. But in the most mysterious way, God the Father has revealed his almighty power in the voluntary humiliation and resurrection of his Son, by which he conquered evil. And it continues on. Um, but yeah, the power of evil. Mm. Or the problem of problem evil. Of evil. Yeah, no, the right. power. power of evil does, <laughs> yeah. does yeah. come into play as well. Um, yes, the problem of evil. That, is, that was one of my favorite things to study in philosophy. Um, because it, it's so easy, especially as Father probably has experienced being, going to hospital visits and things of um, why would, it, the question tends to come up, why would God allow some an, an evil thing or suffering to happen if he's an all-good and loving God, an all-powerful God? Um, and with that, it's just one of the coolest things of, of our Catholic faith that we, we kind of teach, in my opinion. Uh, and that is, how God can bring a good out of an evil. Um, and he can raise us up even in a greater than before. Um, one perfect example, they call it the Felix Culpa, the, the oh happy fault um, with Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve when, when they took the apple and, and they fell from that state of grace and that, that intimate relationship with God. And from that, through the incarnation, bringing us um, to an even closer relationship with God that we never would have had even before. Um, so I just like looking at how God and his, his almighty power, or his power which is almighty, can bring um, good out of these evils and sufferings. And, and it is hard, you know, especially when, when you go to the, the hospital and you see these people suffering, recognizing that that person in particular can enter more fully into the passion of Christ. 
and from that um, become a saint even more so than maybe otherwise because they, they are able to enter more fully into that suffering. So that is, yeah. that is the, the problem of evil in a nutshell. And I think you did it really well with enter into the passion of Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, what is more evil in this world than the crucifixion of a perfectly innocent man? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And crucifixion was not a pretty sight. If no. I understand correctly, the crucifixion was so grotesque and terrible that early Christians didn't have crucifixes like we do today because they would experience that in, in a way that we don't. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a little bit more removed from us, but at the time, just such a terrible way to die. But through that, the greatest, one of the greatest evils that we can think of, salvation was won for all mankind. Sins, all sins were forgiven. The gates of heaven were open to us again. So Christ in his own passion and death is showing us the very gift that can come out of something that is evil. Absolutely. And I would just say, just to add on the great things that you guys have already said, I mean, one of the things that I really appreciate about the faith, that I appreciate about the way that the catechism is compiled, is the fact that it's not as though we try to skirt over things. You know, it's not like, oh, we just aren't going to talk about that. You know, I mean, no, I mean, evil is a real experience. I mean, I sat in the confessional last night for two and a half hours because evil is a real thing. But the beautiful aspect is, is that Christ has entered into this with us. Like, he didn't, you know, shun um, anything, like was willing to take on our weakness, was willing to, you know, in the eyes of the, of the Greeks, become foolish. But the foolishness mm. of God is wiser than human wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. That that love overcomes that evil. Um, and so, yes, it is a mystery. And if I'm not mistaken, it's the only challenge to the existence of God that I think St. Thomas Aquinas discusses in the Summa Theologia. I feel like there's one other objection to the existence of God that he takes on, but he just dismisses it really quickly. I think this is, the problem of evil is the most, most capable argument yeah. against the existence of God. Now, it still does not hold water, no, no. but if someone were to come to me and say, I can't believe in God because of the evil in the world, that's the really the only one I would also have, following St. Thomas Aquinas' sure. example, where I would have some sympathy towards that. Yeah. Because, yeah, it is hard. It is. Mm -hmm. It's the most compelling of them all. But like in anything, it's that, you know, the very fact that Jesus is willing to come so close to it, that, you know, as in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus wept, you know. It's not just, here, I'll just write you all a blank check and you'll be fine, or I'll do this magic trick and you're all done. That he enters into all of this with us, and there's something, you know, in our, in our lived reality that we experience in that. I think I was sharing with Luke the other day a little bit about, you know, like being in seminary and discerning celibacy, right? Like there's a death to self when you're giving up the gift of marriage and family, which mm -hmm. is so good. Like talking about you being, mm -hmm. you know, father of Andrew and Juliana and little guy Becker coming up here in September. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a real death to self in giving that up. And mm -hmm. discerning that's not easy. And I remember, you know, being in the seminary and like just really struggling with it in a palpable way um, in a particular time and just going down to our pub and talking with some of the other guys about it. Like, yeah, it's really hard. And for some reason, the fact that when they said, yeah, it's really hard, like us going through it together, it's not as though it's like, oh, it's not a problem. But the fact that I wasn't alone made all the difference in the world. Mm. And the fact of the matter is, like even where... You know, like fellow humans can't just like take away the pain. 
God is in this with us. Like he is Emmanuel. You know, the, the fact that the way that he chooses to bring good out of evil isn't just in a disinterested, distant sort of way, that he's closer to us than we are to ourselves, which we're going to get to more later too, but that he comes that close that he's willing to weep, that he's willing to have wounds that he carries with him to this day that are with him in heaven. Um, that's an incredible thing, you know, because, okay, for example, back to the spills, right? Like, okay, if I go to a family's house for dinner, there's a bunch of kids, I love being with them. But to be fair, if one of them spills milk, I'm going to do one of these, right? I don't want to get on my clerics, you know? I mean, it's gross. It looks disgusting. But it's like, but our Lord, in the midst of our messiness, is willing to get into all of that with us to the point that, his, you know, he has holes in his hands and his side and his feet. Um, and they're with him forever. Like, that, that love is now with him forever. Like, his response to evil is to take it on himself and to be conquering. You know, it's that that great love that is ultimately almighty. So it's just, you know, and the more we think about that and that presence that's there, once again, it's like, I mean, you move beyond academic subject to remembering even the difficulties in your life, that as you look back on them now and the way that he was there with you, they become part of redemption and, and you know, like, wow, I really, like, we got through this, you know, we got through it together and, uh, and you grow through it and it's, it's a beautiful thing. All right, so before we go on to the next part about the creator, I am going to ask you to go on a tangent. Did Please. you just say pub in seminary? I did. I said pub in seminary. There's, there's a really nice one at the Athenaeum, too. Oh. In fact, I think the Athenaeum's is nicer than the one at the Josephinum where I went. <coughs> yeah, so once again, okay, yes, we had some wonderful beer and other beverages in the seminary because beer is a sign that God loves us, and we tell, <laughs> and we tell him thank you by not drinking too much of it, you know, in any one given sitting. Mm -hmm. Like anything, there's so many gifts from God that are, you know, to be used in the right place at the right time. And, you know, I mean, I forget which psalm it is, but about wine giving cheer to men's hearts, you know. Um, and our Lord's first public miracle in the Gospel of John is the wedding feast to Cana. And he does not make a small amount of wine. He makes about 180 gallons, which is not, you <laughs> Of know, the so, best wine ever tasted. Which, by the way, watch the show The Chosen, episode 5, on the wedding feast to Cana. Every time I cry. Oh my gosh, it's so good. We watched it the other night. It was so yeah. awesome. But yes, we had a pub in the did seminary. I did. I did. I, I try not to look over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very kind of him. But yeah, I can't help myself. It used to be that the movie Rudy is what always made me cry. Mm. Now it's the show The Chosen. Mm. I love it. It's so good. Anyway, we'll continue. We're good. And pubs are great places to have good, hard conversations. I've had many deep philosophical, philosophical conversations over beer, yeah. talking about celibacy. Yeah. I think that would definitely apply. It's yeah. an important thing to do. And it's it's good when, you know, brothers can live in unity and share a beer. Brothers and sisters. I mean, I've had beer. <laughs> I've had some beer with some sisters. So it's you know, it's it's all good and it's you know, it's good to be able to have those kind of conversations. Anyway, well let's continue. Good. Thank you for that tangent. I appreciate it. <laughs> Not a problem. All right, so we finished Father. That wraps up kind of the section on Almighty. Now we are on Creator. And as I said, we are going to be on this kind of section of Creator for several months. So we are just going to scratch the surface today. But I'm already super excited about this I section of Creator. So I am too. I am a... I love the first three chapters of Genesis. I think that if, you, if you're going to dive into a, a good um, biblical passage and try to understand it in depth, that's going to help you understand so much more theology... Like, I feel like the first three chapters of Genesis are just kind of a catch-all for so many different things. And they can take you down so many different paths in theology. And so basically, that's what we're focusing on, these first three chapters. 
Um, and actually, it's interesting. It, it goes into the third person here in paragraph 279 that I caught, which was very interesting. And it says, We shall speak first of the Creator, then of creation, and finally of the fall into sin from which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to raise us up again. And I, I like that it was the third person. Maybe it just sits out to me a little bit. But I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting with the fathers of the catechism, and they're like, okay. And they're, they're like bringing me in and saying, okay, now we're, we are going to speak to you about this part. And so I feel like I'm just kind of entering into this in a more kind of personal way. Because I think this, this, these first three chapters apply so much to us as human beings so intently. I mean, the fact that theology of the body is literally almost solely written on the first three chapters of uh, Genesis kind of speaks to how these chapters speak to us as human beings. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, let's just go on to paragraph 280. That's all right. Go for it. Creation is the foundation of all God's saving plans, the beginning of the history of salvation that culminates in Christ. Conversely, the mystery of Christ casts conclusive light on the mystery of creation and reveals the end for which, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From the beginning, God envisaged the glory of the new creation in Christ. Like that Felix Culpa that Luke's, mm -hmm. Luke was talking about earlier about God bringing good out of evil with Christ being sent into all this. But notice like the foundation and the end to which we're going towards. Like he reveals the foundation and reveals the end for which in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, it's like, you know, you don't know where you're going unless you kind of learn about where you came from. And, you know, having a solid understanding of these first three chapters of Genesis helps us to understand this foundation, who we are, what we're made for. Um, you know, what the purpose of all of this is um, and how to bring meaning out of everything. Because I think the more we try to cast that stuff away in wider society, the more sort of like just moralists, like, or just like our, our, we've, we've become unmoored. Like we don't have a direction. Mm -hmm. And then the more angry we become, we think like none of this has a purpose. It's all just random chance. And we'll kind of get into that a little bit more here as well. But yeah, foundation and end are so important. Yeah. That alpha and the omega, that beginning and end. And I love the Easter vigil too, when we get to like, you know, carve that into the Paschal candle. You know, Christ the Alpha and the Omega, the mm -hmm. beginning and the end. Oh, it's uh, so great. Really great part. Yeah. And then talking about the Easter vigil, it even mentions in paragraph two eighty one yeah. how at the beginning of the celebration of the Easter vigil, we start with the creation account. Yeah. And yeah. how beautiful that is to again, we're celebrating this the joy of the resurrection of Christ at the Easter vigil. But we have to, again, understand where we started and why this was necessary. And not only do we do the creation account, then we have the, the fall of man. Is that mm -hmm. not, that's the yeah. second reason. Yeah, we get not? the fall right away mm -hmm. yep. in, in uh, chapter 3 of Genesis. So. And then in 282, catechesis on creation is of major importance. I, I had to <laughs> underline that part. I'm yeah. like, hey, there it is. Major <laughs> importance. Let's pay attention here. Um, so say, we go. Say, let's see, just continue with that paragraph, if you don't mind. No. It's of major importance. It concerns the very foundations of human and Christian life, for it makes explicit the response of the Christian faith to the basic question that men of all times have asked themselves namely, where do we come from? Where are we going? What is our origin? What is our end? Where does everything that exists come from, and where is it going? The two questions, the first about the origin and the second about the end, are inseparable. Mm. They're decisive for the meaning and orientation of our life and actions. So once again, it's like, someone's like, well, what's the meaning of life? Okay, 282, of the Catechism <laughs> of the Catholic Church. Now, obviously, it's not like, and the meaning of life is this one sentence. I mean, other than like saying, 
Well, in a nutshell, Jesus Christ, you know, or the Gaudium et Spes 22, like God reveals man to himself, right? Oh, and actually, I, yeah, yeah. flexing those theological muscles right there. Well, I yeah. kind of flubbed in my opening prayer and saying, you know, God, thank you for revealing ourself or something, myself. It's like, well, but I actually, like that, yeah, he does reveal ourselves. He to does. Us. And that's the thing. God reveals man to himself. And Pope Benedict warned us time and again. It's like, the, you know, when civilization starts to forget God, it forgets who man is. And then all of a sudden, it's like that's when all of the evils rush into us. We don't remember who we are, creating the image of like as God. Then it's like, well, of course we can justify the killing of the unborn, the killing of the elderly, you know, the mistreatment of the poor, you know, the, the marginalization of this one. Because what does it matter? It's all just a random dance of death, and it's the might makes right. No. Like, yeah. this, this is the ultimate beautiful safeguard that makes life worth living, and it's just incredible. Um, and so, yeah, that paragraph 282, I mean, that's, that's worth its weight in gold. Well, more than that, because it doesn't weigh very much. It's just one paragraph. <laughs> anyway, continue where you'd like to one go next. One paragraph of so many, but oh, it's so it good. is a beautiful paragraph. I know. It's such a good book. So then 283, 284, and 285, if you've got your catechism at home and you're following along, you'll notice that we get a smaller, a smaller text <laughs> font. And usually when you get a smaller text font, as I have found going through 283 paragraphs of the catechism, it's really deep. It like, does. Very philosophical, very theological. And kind of in a nutshell, it, these paragraphs are talking about how the creation account in Genesis does not contradict science. And actually, as science reveals more to us about evolution and creation and how things came to be, it actually in some ways sheds more light on the beauty of God's creation and who God is and how he went about this creation. There is a, um, Christophonic is a fairly famous Catholic mm -hmm. uh, speaker. He does a lot of youth things. I still remember one of his, his talks. He said, what's more interesting? God saying, boom, a rhinoceros, or over thousands of years taking all of this space and time and slowly but surely wrapping all this into creating what we know as a rhinoceros today. And while one seems more miraculous and amazing if he could just create a rhinoceros out of nothing, which God could and really does, as we'll talk about how he does create out of nothing, for us as mankind and just the awe and wonder of these millions of years of time that we get to look at and study, I think he, he did it in a long time just to give us more awe and wonder and more things to enjoy in his creation. If it was really easily understood, we go, oh, cool. Thanks, God. That's awesome. Thank you so much. But when we can look up at the stars and we can look at creation, and no matter how hard we try, right, I think it's in Job where he says, you know less about the horse on the hare's neck than um, you do about creation or of God and what his will is. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, that's pretty powerful stuff right there. So I think God almost did it just out of for our own wonder and enjoyment and our own scientific awe. And how awesome that is. And they don't contradict. As we've talked about in previous sections, these things don't contradict. And actually, science, in, in some small ways, is helping us see this miraculous creation that God was able to perform. Yeah. I think St. Augustine said about the wedding feast at Cana that Jesus' miracle of making that wine as he did points to the miracle of the fact that wine even exists in the first place. You know, it's like, it's... Yes, some, thing, some things take time to unfold over time. Mm -hmm. For example, like Bishop Jugas could say, Luke Martin, we're riding off for a dispensation of Notre Dame tomorrow. 
Now, in some ways, you're probably like, all right, let's do it. But in some ways, speaking as someone who's now been ordained for 11 years, you know, who's in seminary for six, it's like, okay, like he could have done that. And I remember thinking at one point, because I think when I was in seminary, I want to say like one of our, one of our uh, priests in the diocese, pretty prominent, passed away. And I remember thinking, it's like, you know, if Bishop Jesus wants to ordain me early, I'll jump in. Put me in, Yeah, put me in. I'm ready to go, you know? <laughs> and it's cool, and it's a good thing, but it's like that gradual unfolding, the experience mm-hmm. of the seminary. I mean, yeah, could they just say, okay, no more summer breaks, intensive academic courses, yes, but there are some things that even in the slow days of the summer at Sacred Heart that you're going to be learning, you know, about mm-hmm. the life of a priest. Like, it, it takes time for these things to happen. And even in, you know, since ordination, like in 11 years, like I've been growing in my priesthood ever since. And that's just, it's awesome in the way that God chooses to unfold things gradually. Um, one other point is, we, you know, like summing up 283 to 285. A real good thing to do would be to look at paragraph 285 that gives a brief definition of a lot of different, well, for lack of a better phrase, we'll just call them heresies. Um, what, like, what else would you call them? I don't know. Like I was, well, because this is the thing. Some people be like, oh, you know, it's all the same. It's not. Um, at the end of the day, it's like God has revealed himself. There is truth. Mm-hmm. And there are different groups that try, or, you know, different ways of living, different philosophies that try to find the truth in different places. Talks about pantheism here, dualism and Manichaeanism. Those are really popular still today, as though there are two forces of good and evil battling equally. That is not the case. I mean, God will, in the end, you know, stamp out the devil. I mean, you know, the, the wheat and the weeds will be separated. I mean, read the Gospel of Matthew as we've been going through here lately, where our Lord talks about the end of time, the separation of the, you know, the wheat into barns and the weeds into everlasting fire. Um, and that's, you know, God, like, finishing the whole thing, right? Now, he gives us every chance, you know, for salvation. Um, God is so merciful and so good, but he respects our freedom. You want to be a weed, be a weed, but he will respect that decision. But it's not as though, like, the devil and God are on equal footing and perpetually fighting. Nope. Like, God is all-powerful, and he will finish off the devil. Um, there's Gnosticism. There's even materialism that it talks about. Um, talking, or finally, others reject any transcendent origin for the world, but see it as merely the interplay of matter that has always existed. And that's pretty rampant today, too. That You know, we're just a product of cells and neurons and firing electronic whatever in our heads. No, I mean... When you think about that, that makes so much less sense than to believe in God. Like it, I, and, and this is what kind of gets me sometimes, because we can all sort of fall back when people are like, oh, prove to me that there's a God. It's like, okay, well, prove your worldview to me. Prove to me why materialism actually makes sense of the, of the gaping hole in every human heart that can only be filled by the divine transcendence. Why do we even love? Why isn't it just you know, might makes right in a battle royale of all against all. Like, why is self, why does self-sacrifice make any sense whatsoever if this is just about materialism? Um, it doesn't work. And I think sometimes it's like we feel like we kind of get put back on our heels, but really, we should be the ones on the offensive, not the defensive. You know, when Jesus talks about the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, remember, Gates don't come out and attack you, right? Like, <laughs> gates keep things out. Ultimately, the goodness of God will, you know, blast through those gates. It's like the gates to Mordor. I mean, it's all going to come crumbling down on that side. Just make sure you're on the right side of the gate. 
You know, that's, that's where it all comes down. So materialism doesn't ultimately work, and that 285, the way it wraps up, all these attempts, pantheism, manichaeism, deism, materialism, uh, bear witness to the permanence and universality of the question of origins. This inquiry is distinctively human. We all have those questions. We're all searching for the pearl of great price, and we hopefully we'll stumble across the treasure buried in the field, and that truth is Jesus Christ, you know, given to us fully through the church. You heard it here first, folks. Be on the right side of the gate. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. Pick your standard. It's good. It's a it's an Ignatian thing too. So <laughs> that's good stuff. Okay. So and actually going on from that, and this inquiry is distinctively human in two eighty six. Mm -hmm. Human into intelligence is surely already capable of finding a response to the question of origins. So it is distinctively human, but God has already given human beings the ability to essentially answer that question. As we've talked about earlier in the Catechism, coming to know the existence of God is in, ingrained within the human nature. Yeah. So there is something here at the very beginning that we already can know by who we are as human beings. But then, in 288, thus the revelation, right? Revelation being something having to give to us that we cannot understand in our human nature. Thus the revelation of creation is inseparable from the revelation and forging of the covenant of the one God and with his people. So we are then given in Genesis the revelation of creation and how God mm -hmm. created everything and that it was good. And then we also get this covenant and this connection with the human person that was created on the sixth day. So we can understand that God exists, but we can't understand necessarily how things came to be. So that has to be revealed to us. So it's kind of this nice you can come up with the premise, but then after the premise, God gives you the next couple steps after that, which is, yeah. is great to see yeah. within Genesis. And I would just say it's sort of a commercial there. I highly recommend that uh, Bible Basics for Catholics by Dr. John Bergsma. He does a really good job of laying out the different covenants, you know, beginning uh, with the garden and just like the covenant that our Lord cuts with humanity several different times. Um, and he, he does a good job of kind of laying that out in a very easy to follow way. Scott Hahn's all about the coven covenants too, and it's they're both excellent and very accessible. Yeah, if I, if I would Please. throw one thing in, um, I would bring up the, the importance of that, that acknowledgement of, of faith and reason we have as Catholics. Yeah. And um, a great encyclical, I believe it's Fides et Ratio, yep. um, by Pope St. John Paul II, um, where he talks about how as Catholics, we're not irrational. Um, or uh, we don't act solely with faith, or we don't act solely with reason, but they're congruent and they work together. And it, it's a really good way of looking at these things, especially with creation, mm -hmm. um, how we can come to certain knowledge of things that God exists and, and, and a few other things by our natural reason. But God gives us that, that beautiful gift of faith um, to really help us seek that understanding of, of God and, and to to seek the truth and as a as a gift and assistance to us. So, so yeah. Well put, buddy. Yeah. yeah, those two wings of the eagle. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Working well together. So we are going to dive directly into creation for a little bit. So one thing that is made very, very clear in this section of the Catechism is that God had no beginning. Right? He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. So there was nothing before God. So 
at some point, the only thing that existed was God and nothingness. Mm-hmm. And that has to be the case. Because if any matter existed before God, well, then God isn't, by definition, not God. Mm-hmm. So at some point, we had God and then nothingness. But then, through his word, right? Through his word, God creates by speaking, essentially, or whatever speaking means to God. He creates out of nothing. So again, God, nothingness, and through his word, nothing becomes something. Ex nihilo. Mm-hmm. Um out of nothing. But then God, as we just talked about with the Trinity, right? God the Father doesn't create on his own. Because what God the Father is doing, also the Son and the Holy Spirit are there as well. So in 291, it talks about how the Son and the Holy Spirit, right, participate in this giving life. I always think it's really interesting as a mental experiment in gymnastics to go, wow, Jesus literally helped create his own mother. Like, that seems so counter intuitive but jesus through that hand of who he is as being part of god right because he always existed even though his human form didn't always exist became um, incarnate in he became time incarnate in time mm-hmm. he had a hand in that creation so don't fall into it probably is some heresy that only god was only god the father was the creator god the son and god the holy spirit being three persons in one god participant in that creation as well mm-hmm. Absolutely. I will say, and obviously like all analogies break down, but if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, um, there's the, the book, chronologically speaking, it's the first one, even though Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was written first. I think this is actually written one of the last, but The Magician's Nephew, and it has Aslan singing Narnia into being. And there's something so beautiful about that, you know, about, you know, like the word being spoken, but just like, you know, the, the singing and bringing about all of creation. And it's a really powerful scene. If you've never read the books, I highly recommend them. But you know, just thinking about that of God, you know, singing all of this into being. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful thought. It, it is indeed. I like that a lot. And so, continuing to move on, we get this emphasis on the word, as Father said. But then, the main question that then we dig into is, why? Why? Like God doesn't need this. God doesn't need to create anything. He's perfect in himself. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. So why? And that is always a very deep question. And I think if you can come to the existence of God, right, you're in the understanding of, you know, monotheism. It's like, well, well, but it doesn't make sense. And the catechism, I think, just does a beautiful job of saying that he did it for his own glory and his out of love. And it's that spilling forth, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's this intentional spill of, I'm doing this for you all to give glory to me. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense all the time. <laughs> but again, that's kind of the mystery of our faith. Sure. And that's, and you know, and once again, when you talk about these mysteries, it's like, okay, for example, you know, like when you're, when you're a child, and your, your parents, let's say, okay, this is really going to fall short, like, but you're going on vacation, and you're going to drive in the car for like 20 hours to get there. Now, if you're in a car seat, and you're just not super comfortable, you're not, you know, it's like, oh, this is the worst, like, how could we ever have to go through this? But your parents know that it's worth it to get to this vacation spot. Like, from your perspective, this seems like the worst decision ever, because you're locked in and all this kind of stuff. 
But like once you get there, it's like you forget about the trip. So like God, knowing all of this, like he knows in the outpouring of his love that like to sing us into existence, to keep going back to that because I like it so much, but you know, like he knows that all of this is worth it, even to the point of the Father giving the Son to us, and you know, by the work of the Father and the Holy, you know, uh, you know, by the death of the Son, the Father and the Holy Spirit, like Jesus going through all this in His passion, redeeming us, loving us into existence, you know, bringing us that that possibility of becoming saints. It's worth it, you know, to Him, like to do that. Like His love is that, you know, it, it spills over in that way. And of course, you know, as we look at the problem of evil, as we talk about everything, it's like, oh, why would God do this? Well, we don't always know the exact answer of why would he do X, but it's like, but we know that he loves us and we trust in him. It's back to that faith. It's not chucking out reason. We need reason, but we trust in him even if we don't have the full picture of the whole trip being done yet. Mm-hmm. But we know that he's leading us into it. Another tangent for you. No, and I, think that, <laughs> I think that was a, a good analogy because it's not about about us having that joy. Mm-hmm. He, he wants, he, he doesn't do create out of, for his own glory, glorification, right? As it says here in paragraph 293, the world is made for the glory of God. St. Bonaventure explains that God created all things not to increase his glory, since he doesn't need yeah. any more glory, but to show it forth and to communicate it. <laughs> yeah. So to gift us that glory so we can be with him. Because what could be even greater is for us to participate in that glory and to participate in that love. So he literally created everything so that somebody else can participate in that glory and love. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, in some ways, why do we exist? Because God wanted to give love and have us love him back and to share with us his glory. He wants us to experience that. So... The common preface number four in the, in the missal, it's the one we used last night, and it says, you have no need of our praise, yet our thanksgiving is itself your gift. You know, so it's like for us to be thankful to God is his gift to us because the very act of thanksgiving is a gift, like to participate in that, as opposed to just being grumpy and turned in on myself and bitter and all this. Like the very act of giving him praise and thanksgiving, it's like he wants us to participate in this, even though our gift of praise and thanksgiving adds nothing to his greatness. So it's just like he just wants us to participate in it for our own sakes. It's that true like agape love, loving the other for the sake of the other. And God is one that is perfectly able to do that. And you can see it lived out fully in the cross. Um, it's like when Philip says, you know, just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus is like, Really, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You know, it's like, I mean, he, he shows the fullness of his love in stretching out his arms for us on the cross. And it's not for his own benefit, but for ours to participate in that thanksgiving and glory for all time. Mm-hmm. So, oh, it's so good. Anything we give to God literally comes back to us a hundredfold. Yeah. It's, he doesn't take anything. He just... He just gives. He just serves it right back and gives it back out. Now it feels like a taking sometimes, you know, like the you know once again back to celibacy because it's I think the easiest one to talk about. It's you know, it, ah, it's hard to give that gift, but a it proves that marriage and, and children are good because it's a good mm-hmm. thing to be able to give 
but God gives back so much, like all that you get to be a part of, all the lives that are there, like the, the countless ways that God pours himself out upon us and to live that faithfully, to make that gift, is itself a gift from God, um, you know, lived out to the full. So it's, he's, he's the, the ultimate in givers. Exactly. <laughs> so we are a couple minutes over at the moment. We've got about, what, seven paragraphs to go? So to cruise through a little bit quicker, and we can always come back to it to segue back in next month. Yeah. Um, so God creates by wisdom and love, right? We believe that God created the world according to his wisdom. We be- believe that it proceeds from God's free will. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So out of this wisdom and love, that this was guiding this the whole time, it was not just some random roll of the dice and go, oh, look at what I created. No, there was a guidance within this mm-hmm. creation process. Yeah. Um, and then as I kind of, I jumped ahead a little bit before, but out okay. of nothing, right? Creating yeah. this out of ex nihilo that nothing could have existed before God. So we have God and nothing, then he creates out of that nothing. And I really like paragraph 298. I'm just going to read it. Read it. Since God could create everything out of nothing, he can also, through the Holy Spirit, give spiritual life to sinners by creating a pure heart in them and bodily life to the dead through the resurrection. God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And since God was able to make light shine in darkness by his word, he can also give the light of faith to those who do not yet know him. And I just love that line. If he can create the entire universe as we know it out of nothing, he can soften someone's heart just by his spoken word and his thought and out of nothing. Out of nothing that he gave that person, he could just soften their heart if he desired to do that. Give them that light of faith. Mm. And how much should we all desire that? And pray, as kind of the message of Fatima states, right? Pray for the poor sinners saying, God, give them that light of faith. Even if there is nothing there, just just make it happen because you can do it. And that, yeah, giving, and I love the way that those two are linked together about bringing something, you know, bringing something out of nothing and giving spiritual life to sinners by creating a pure heart in them. So it's like, you know, I mean, when we've fallen into sin, especially grave sins, like the devil pounces. You know, one of the biggest tricks of the devil is when you're tempted towards something, he comes and removes the shame. But once you've done it, he's right there to beat you over the head with it for as long as he possibly can, for the rest of your life if he can, if you let him, if you won't go to confession. But that's, you know, it's the thing about sin. I highly recommend the book by C.S. Lewis. Keep going back to C.S. Lewis today. The Great Divorce. It's a wonderful meditation on what will keep you out of heaven. But there's so much of a meditation on sin ultimately becomes nothing. I think it's like it's nothingness. It's so close to nothingness. And yet God can pull the sinner out of that nothingness into spiritual life to pull us out of the deadness, the isolation, the shame, you know, the prison that is sin. You know, and, and the incredible way in which he does it, you talk about spilling over, right? And you know, like sitting over there in the confessional and being in there for hours at a time and just seeing like people come in down, you know, overwhelmed, all these difficulties, and God acting through a fallen instrument, a fallen agent, you know, one of his priests, to hear the confession, to, you know, uh, give or counsel the sinner, you know, and then to speak those words of absolution. I mean, it's like a resurrection moment. And the the crazy thing is, like, sin is so much nothingness. Sitting in there as a confessor, it's not like, ooh, I want to hear all the juicy sins. No, I mean, that is the sad part. I mean, there's so, there's just, there are times where it's like, ah, like you just feel for people. You can feel the weight. 
know, in the, the prayer after the Our Father that the priest speaks, you know, it's in your mercy, keep us free from sin. Not keep us free from physical or bodily injury. Not keep us free from COVID. Not keep us free from a car accident. In your mercy, keep us free from sin. Mm-hmm. Because sin is ultimately what we have to fear the most. Because it's like diving back into nothingness by our own choice. But even if we've done that, even if we've been like the lost sheep or the lost coin or the prodigal son, he's there to bring us back out of nothingness. And so like to see that on the moral level, to reflect back on our own experience when we've been in the confessional, having strayed and he brings us back out of that, it's like the resurrection happening time and time and time again. Um, how good our God is to make it so readily available too. You know, I mean, when you think about it, What's necessary for confession is so little. You know, like it, it doesn't take much. All you have to be is repentant. And I mean, think about Jesus' first words in the Gospels. Repent and believe in the Gospel. All you got to do is say you're sorry, basically. It doesn't take much. And once you do that, like he brings you back into his wonderful light. Um, and then gives us the grace we need to stay there. Is it easy? No. Ho- totally admit it. I know it's not easy. And, but the beautiful thing is that's why he continues to spill over his mercy all the time because he's so absolutely generous with it and he wants to create us anew and bring us into that love all the time. So thank you for pointing out the paragraph. I totally agree. Can you agree. tell Father really wants to hear your confession? <laughs> like, go to confession. That's it's what so he's trying good. to say. Come it's to confession. so important and every, so good. We have it every single day. Come every, every day. single day. Every day. I will say, except Sunday. So we're kind of like Chick-fil-A in that with confession. But it's all good. Um, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I like Chick-fil-A. No confession yes. on no Sunday. No confession on Sunday, every other day. you know. And, but I will say, even on Sunday, by appointment. You know, that can happen. But every day after the daily Mass, we're in it because it's so good and important. And you know, he loves us and wants us to experience that love. So. All right. And then the last little section, God creates things out of wisdom. But with that wisdom, he creates things as good, and he creates things in order. There is an order to this chaos that we see, <laughs> and I think that's so important to recognize that there is an order, there is a movement, there is kind of this progression of things that is continuing, that we're not going to spiral into chaos. I think there's some sort of scientific theory of is it entropy, where everything goes from order to disorder. Well, remember, if God's in control, there is a divine order that is happening, and so there is some sort of control God moving everything in this specific way. We're not going to spiral into destruction and chaos with God at the helm. Yeah. So thanks be to God. Absolutely. And that's where I would just say, you know, remember, <laughs> spend time with catechism, spend time in prayer. One of the best things I heard on that retreat a couple weeks ago, and I keep harping on it to Luke. Poor Luke. He's had to listen to my tangents like all day. This, this is just being it. on camera for the stuff I keep saying. But they, <laughs> they said, uh, and I thought this was so good. I think this was Dr. John Bergsma. That we need to make sure, you know, in the Sunday liturgy, that what the readings are talking about, what the prayers of the liturgy are talking about, like that sets the foundation for our lives and what we're going to talk about in the homily as opposed to whatever the news cycle is, setting the agenda and then relating the news cycle like making sure that's discussed and somehow fit in the readings. Like, no, no, no. Salvation history is what lasts. I mean, when you think about it, you know, whatever news station you like, it's a blip on the screen, it'll be done. I mean, like all things, you know, all human kingdoms crumble. God is everlasting. His love is at the foundation of the universe. Um, you know, the, the craziness that's out there, uh, yeah, there is craziness. There is sin. We live in a fallen world. But the reality is the foundation of things from creation 
is God loving us into existence. Make sure that you spend more time with that, with the good news, than the bad news. Is the bad news there? Yes. Are we going to have to confront it? Of course. But remember, the way that our Lord chose to essentially conquer the world with the church was calling together 12 guys, and one of them he knew would betray him, right? And they went and conquered the Roman Empire. Um, took about 300 years, but they were in control. Not that long a time. Uh, is there crazy stuff happening? Yes. Is there a denial of the foundation from the creation? Yeah, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of denial. But once again, go back to Genesis 3. The devil has been a liar from the beginning, and he's going to do what he can to try to separate us from God. But even if you find yourself in a state of separation, come to him who can free man from his sins, who can pull us out of that nothingness into his love and back onto that solid foundation. As long as we're standing firm on that foundation, what do we have to fear? We'll be okay. Will there be challenges? Yes, just like there were for the apostles. But we know in the end, we're on the winning team. So don't, don't hop the fence to the other side. <laughs> what side of the gate are you on? There you go. That's a good line. I like it. Luke, you got any closing thoughts for us? No, I'm good. This is awesome. Well, thanks for being here with us. Yeah, today. it's great to have you. It's, it. pleasure. it's fun stuff. This works out really well because if we try to get everybody that's watching into a classroom at 3.30 on a Thursday, it's tough to get everybody together. But yeah. hey, there are some you know good aspects to modern technology. We can yeah. all come together for a Facebook Live event or some people can join us after the fact. Yeah, it's recorded yeah. on Facebook. As always, please share with your friends and family. I will be posting it on SoundCloud as well. So if you're a podcast listener and you want to get our podcast, Sacred Heart Catholic Church, or just download it to listen to it at a different time, you're more than welcome to do that. So we have other ways to share this out there. And then, obviously, we are at paragraph 300 now. So that means we have several other of these that you can listen to as well. So if you missed something, go back and listen to it. Pick up with the story where we left off. We've already got like six hours worth of material here. Yeah. So that's a lot, of, a lot of material we got going on. It's pretty incredible. And once again, as always, I just feel like we've got this treasure in the church that probably sits and gathers dust in a lot of places. The catechism is so good. Like, just spend time with it. Read it a paragraph a day if you want. I mean, it's better than a lot of the rip-off calendars, right? I mean, just <laughs> going through it, you know, one paragraph at a time, it just, I mean, it's incredible. Um, and, you know, I've already been through seminary. I have a master's degree in theology. I love reading this because it's just so rich. And every time I open it up, I'm grateful to God that I did. So. And I have not been through seminary, and I have a bachelor's degree in theology. There you go. And I still love reading it. So the next time we'll be joining together for the next 50 paragraphs, so 300 through 350, will be August 26th. And we're going to continue through the creation, um, the first three chapters of Genesis, like I said, for next month and I think the month following and then we will move on into Jesus so there's a little sneak peek but you already knew that because I'm sure you had your catechism and you looked ahead because that's what we all do of course that's the way to go <laughs> well why don't we close with a prayer and I'll give you a blessing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen. glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as, as it was, was in the beginning, beginning is now and ever shall be world without ending the Lord be with you with, with your spirit and Almighty God bless you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen go in peace thanks be to God Thank you, Paul. And Thank the bells you. tell us we're 15 minutes over.